Welcome to the Crushing on Life podcast. I'm your host, Emma T. Fink. Managing your time can seem impossible, especially in this day and age. We all have a million things on our plate. I'm here to help you bring some order to it all. Each week, I'll be delivering you actionable tips that you can take to help manage your time, prioritize your tasks, and still take care of yourself. Before you know it, you'll be crushing on your life. Hey there, and welcome to episode 19 of the Crushing on Life podcast. I'm your host, Emma T. Fink. Today, I have a super special guest on the podcast. Her name is Victoria Evans, and she is my intuitive eating coach. She has a science-based approach to intuitive eating that's a little bit different than anything you might have heard, and she'll explain intuitive eating for those of you who don't know what that is, but she will go into all sorts of things about her own story, her own struggles with food, and how she manages her time in order to make sure that she's getting nourishing meals, and so much more. I can't wait for you guys to hear this episode. It is so jam-packed with good stuff. I do want to say a couple things before we begin. Victoria was very open in this episode, and therefore I wanted to lay out some trigger warnings. So we will be talking about eating disorders, including anorexia and bulimia. There are references to sexual assault and suicide. And we will also be discussing binge eating and there are references to drugs. So I just wanted to throw that out there so that if that is sensitive content for you, proceed with caution or maybe don't listen to this episode and I will see you next week. But without further ado, let's welcome Victoria Evans. Victoria, it is so awesome to have you on the podcast. Welcome. Hey, Emma. Thank you so much for having me here. I'm super excited to chat with you today. Me too. Okay, so first things first, tell me a little bit about who you are and what you do. Yeah, so I'm a science-based intuitive eating and body image coach, which some people might be familiar with the term of intuitive eating, uh, but I take a bit of a different spin on it, so I'm very science-based. So the way I think about intuitive eating is really when you get to a place of neutrality around food, you're honoring your body, you're listening to what you intuitively know. We're born as intuitive eaters, essentially. And over time, with diet culture, we're basically kind of add all these layers on of guilt and shame and what we should do, and what we should look like, and just kind of end up in a bit of a mess sometimes. So what I do is I help women get back to that natural state where they feel good in their body, they feel energized, eat what they want, when they want, and how to also have body image, like how to feel confident in their skin and know that they're worthy of taking up space in this world. I love that so much. And intuitive eating has been something that's really helped me as well. Like diet culture is so prevalent and we all want to say goodbye to it, but it's way easier said than done. So thank goodness for people like you showing us the way. Yeah. And I think when it comes to diet culture as well, it's not as cookie cutter as we'd like it to be. It's not like the bad guy that we see, you know, it's oftentimes the word that has kind of been swapped it for diets is wellness, right? So we have a lot of, you know, superfoods or intermittent fasting or, you know, keto is a bit more of a obvious diet, but I think a lot of the time as well, it's kind of morphed from being a diet to being this kind of health and wellness, really hyper-focused. And so we can almost kind of trick ourselves into thinking we're not following a diet by 
focusing almost obsessively on only eating organic things or only eating clean things or whatever that is, but that is just another form of diet, just with a different name slapped on it. Yeah, I used to think eating clean was better than dieting, but it's still essentially restricting yourself, which Mm -hmm. ends up not being a good thing in the long run. Yeah. So speaking of binging, um, what was your biggest struggle with food and how did that affect your self-care practices? Yeah, so my struggles with food started from a very young age. Um, I don't know if you guys know the Pillsbury Doughboy when it was still in the tubes. Um, So I remember like from, I don't even know how old I was, it must have been like five or six, like food had always just been this comfort for me and always just been this one thing that when I felt really disconnected from the world, you know, I'm five foot 10 now. And I swear I was that tall from like age five. Um, I felt like totally disconnected from my friends. I felt like everyone treated me like I was significantly older because I was taller, had to grow up really quickly. People, um, you know, expected different things of me. There was a lot of pressure. I had to grow up emotionally and I didn't know where to put all that. It was a lot. It was heavy. And so what happened was I tended to use food as this outlet and it really was my best friend as well as my worst enemy. So from a young age, I remember like stealing, you know, Pillsbury Doughboy tubes and like hiding under the stairs and eating them, you know, hiding from my mom because it was this kind of moment of peace in my day where it was just me and it kind of numbed out my thoughts. And, you know, that continued on until I was about 12 and um, after my parents had a really messy split actually on my 12th birthday um, bulimia kind of was born of that and it was this weird way that I had decided that all my messy emotions could be put into you know binge eating which is eating a lot of food in a very fast amount of time feels very chaotic very out of control um and so what had happened was yeah I felt like I couldn't handle the emotion it was too much Um, And so I channeled it onto food, but pair that with the fact that, you know, as you're like 12, 13, you start to have this expectation of looking a certain way and puberty is hitting and all these things. And, you know, I didn't want to gain weight. And so that kind of started bulimia for me. And that was a 10 year journey in itself. Um, And then, and I went to, so I played high level volleyball. So I got an NCAA uh, scholarship to the States, uh, which more or less had kept, the binge eating at bay. So the bulimia was kind of here and there. Um, and, but the binge eating was pretty consistent. Um, but with volleyball, I was able to kind of be active enough that it didn't quite show on my body as much. So I could kind of almost pretend it wasn't as big of an issue as it was just from a stance of how I looked physically, even though it was weighing on me mentally all the time. And it was, so controlling anyone who's struggled with their eating knows it can feel obsessive and like it's every thought and every moment of the day can be what am I eating next or I shouldn't have eaten this or this or that and so it just became my my life and then in university um I was unfortunately sexually assaulted and what happened was I basically kind of decided to desexualize my body like this wasn't conscious but subconsciously I started eating way more and I wasn't trying to really offset it in any way um I put on a lot of weight really quickly and you know volleyball which had really been this outlet for me you know emotionally as well as for friends and everything you know 
all of a sudden it was this area where I was really struggling and I wasn't being played and I was sitting on the bench and I remember the athletic trainer telling me, you know, Victoria, you put on a lot of weight and you're having the same back problems as the NFL linebackers. Like, you know, like you need to kind of get it together. And if anyone knows anything about eating, a lot of it is driven by shame, right? And this feeling of like, I'm not enough. And so when I, you're being told these things and you're already hurting so much food, you just like double down more on it. It just becomes this numbing effect and this escape. But then it's also paired with the pain of it that, you know, it's reflecting on your body. And we ultimately, unfortunately, live in a society where a lot of how we are treated is based off of our body. And so ultimately, you know, I finished university, I graduated, and then I moved to Montreal. And I started working for a top, um, like a Fortune 500 beauty company, like one of the top beauty companies in the world. And when I was there, I had basically decided that, um, you know, I was going to get it together. My grandma had recently passed away who had had a big deal in raising me. And I thought, okay, I'm going to get it together. I'm going to lose weight and my life is going to start. You know, I struggled with depression, anxiety from age 12 as well. Um, you know, I had different suicide attempts throughout my life. And this idea is something that Ross was sold in society that, once you look like the after photo, then we're going to be happy and life is going to be great and we'll start living. And so I went on this Instagram influencers, you know, 12 week weight loss guaranteed program. I saw her, she had like over a million followers and I bought her program and I started losing weight really quickly and it was really restrictive. I wasn't eating enough. I had emailed her and said, hey, I think I need more food on this food plan because I'm dizzy, I'm irritable, I'm gonna, I feel like I'm gonna pass out. So like, oh no, this is normal, you know, your stomach is just drinking and drink more black coffee and intermittent fast. And, you know, I didn't know any better. I had some red warrant, like some, you know, red flags. I'm like, that sounds a bit off, but also, you know, you have a million followers, you're one of the top bikini competitors in the world. So like I kind of blindly trust you. And not surprisingly, um, so this led to anorexia, which is losing a lot of weight in a really quick amount of time. So it was really restricting foods. I began working out two, three hours a day. And, you know, I was drinking myself. And what was really confusing was I went from, you know, invisible at my job, essentially, to all of a sudden, everyone talking to me and asking how I'd done it and all these things. And so it was really confusing because I had never been more unhappy and more miserable and more broken, yet I was getting all this attention, all this praise and all this positive feedback, which is something, you know, I'd always wanted and felt like I could never quite have. And it was this weird kind of dichotomy where I was broken and yet being seen. And so the anorexia, this went on for a little while and because I didn't know how to not be this person, my identity had to kind of become this. And so I... Um, I was really struggling with that, like this kind of identity crisis there. And, you know, I'd lost my period, my hair was falling out. Um, I started doing different drugs, um, to try to kind of numb out and also kind of avoid, you know, eating as it were. Um, and well, then what happened there was because if you restrict for that long, your body kicks into, it often kicks into that survival method, which is binging right? So binging is a response to restriction. If your body thinks it's not getting enough calories in it, it's going to basically take over your brain. Your primitive brain is going to say, hey, no, this is not okay. We think is ultimately self-sabotage is actually self-protection when we're on a diet because we're not built to be on a diet. 
a diet is, you know, our body's way of thinking that it's a famine, you know, from, you know, 100,000 years ago, whatever. It's a built-in system self, what we think is self-sabotage is actually a way that our body is getting our energy levels up, aka calories. And so for me, I started going on these massive binges, like spending hundreds of dollars of food a night. Uh, like Uber Eats was just like on rotation coming to my front doors because I would starve myself all day long until about 7 p.m. And then I would finally, you know, rightly so, start eating. Um, but I didn't have anything in the house. So I was afraid of binge eating it. So, but because I was just because I was restricting it. And uh, yeah, that became binge eating. And when you talk about self-care, there was no self-care because for me, I thought I had to earn self-care. And when you're in such a state of feeling like you're self-sabotaging, which is self-protection again, um, I felt like I wasn't worthy of taking time for me. I felt like it wasn't, I wasn't enough. And, you know, once I get to X weight, once I maintain this or once this happens, then I'll get the massage or then I'll go on the trip or then I'll wear the outfit. So I was really kind of depriving myself. And I talk about it with my clients as pleasure deprivation, you know, thinking I have to earn this right. Ironically, though, it's by depriving ourselves of that pleasure, of the nutrients, of the calories our body needs, that we are sending ourselves into these quote unquote self-sabotaging behaviors, which prevent us from, you know, doing any self-care anyways. Yeah. One of the things that I find is you said the word calorie. I feel like we've demonized the word calorie because we're always like counting calories or wow, that has a lot of calories in it. It's just a unit of energy. Yep. It's just a unit of energy and it's so wildly inaccurate, right? Like people get really caught up in it. Um, and I think it's about 30% on frozen packaged items, at least in the States, that it can sway either way. So like the packaging can be off by about 30% of the calories um, because of the margin of like what each ingredient can differ in terms of kind of either side of it. Ultimately, it's about 30%. Um, which is crazy. So if you have people like obsessively tracking their calories or their macros um, and they're using like, you know, the boxes for it, it's like, you're not even close. Right. And everyone's bodies, you know, like if they digest and they use calories totally differently. So if you're longer intestines, which people have different lengths of intestines. So even if you and I eat the exact same way, if you have longer intestines than me, the food is going to be in your body longer and you're going to actually hold on to more of those energy, like more of the calories, more of the nutrients. And so your weight is going to be different than mine, which is just crazy in itself. Yep. And even people need different levels of calories from day to day, depending on all sorts of different things like sleep and activity levels. And just, it, it's not practical to eat the same amount of calories every single day. No, it sets you up for, and as well with, you know, a lot of the women that I see, it's this very kind of black and white, all or nothing thinking, you know, I'm going to eat perfectly tomorrow. Everything's going to be great. You make this big grand plan. And then when you, you know, you have one of the cookies or two of the cookies, you just kind of say, screw it. I'm going to go all out. I'm going to finish this and tomorrow I won't have any more. And it's kind of this like all or nothing with calories and trying to eat perfectly. And humans aren't designed to eat the exact same things in the exact same way. Like you said, it differs, whether it be where you are in your cycle, like your hormones, stressful environment, if you'd exercise, if you took the day off exercise, your body's trying to repair itself, sleep levels, you know, like so many people think that they have these huge, crazy cravings that are out of control. And I'm like, I mean, how much sleep are you getting? Because 
a lot of the time, sometimes it's as simple as you're not getting enough sleep at night and sleep is, you know, how we get more energy and calories are energy. And so, you know, if you're finding you're always reaching for a chocolate bar at 3 p.m. at the office, it might be simply that you're not getting enough sleep at night and your body's going to gravitate towards higher calorie foods, aka high energy, um, to try to give you that boost in the afternoon that you need. It's nice hearing somebody else say it because I feel like I say every episode of this podcast that you need to be getting enough sleep. Like that's the most important thing. So I'm really glad that somebody else said it too because it's so true. And like, I feel like for me personally, I use calories as currency and I'm really frugal. So I would often end up like I'd set this ridiculous limit of like 1400 or something ridiculously low. And I would end up still with like 500, 400 calories at the end of the day because I like to save. And I viewed the calories the same way I view my money. Like I want to have a surplus left over at the end of the day instead of accidentally going over. Oh, yeah. I used to play that game so hard. Um, and it's and it's not a game you win, right? Because if you think about calories or energy, you don't have enough energy to live right and you know i see those snickers commercials with betty white where it's like you know it's like you're not you knew when you're hungry you know those ones where she was like the football and she like gets tackled and stuff um yeah. like i was not me when i was hungry like you know i when i was at my smallest weight and i was you know wearing the dress and doing all the things i was miserable like i was so hangry and i was not nice to people and everything was really obsessive and like you said, I was playing this game of how low can I get my calories for the day? And like, it's not a game you win, right? No one wins this game. There's no prize for hitting a low number. You are the loser if you're not giving yourself enough energy to get throughout the day. And like, you know, I really take a, I take such a feminist approach to this because I'm like, we need to show up in the world and we have so much more to offer the world than a small body, than a shrinking body. And if we spend all our time thinking about calories and diets and how to have a thigh gap, then like no one's going to be left to run for Congress, right? And to actually make a difference in this world. Like we need to level up and do better. Yep. But that's just the world we live in, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. But people like you are striving to change that. And I thank you for it. So what do you do now in terms of food to make sure that you're taking care of yourself? Yeah, so... Something with food that I find is really interesting is that it really represents how you live your life a little bit. Um, so for me, my you know my eating used to be really chaotic, used to be really fast because I was going really fast through life. I had a lot of anxiety. I never let myself slow down. And so, so much of eating intuitively and nourishing yourself and taking care of yourself is getting still and tuning in and listening to what's going on. And so... For me, I had to really develop that because I used to, you know, I, I would pass out at 2 a.m. from exhaustion and then take drugs to wake up in the morning. Like I was so unable to sit with my own thoughts because it was too much pain for me that I it was impossible for me to kind of nourish myself or take care of myself in any way. And so the first thing was learning to how to get still. Um, and from there, I was able to really tune in and you know, for example, like I've created a morning routine that I really love and have active kind of practices to help me get into that still state without it feeling overwhelming and scary. Um, as well as, you know, taking care of myself by knowing that 
I'm allowed to feel the full range of human emotion. Like I think in the in our society today, we are so pain avoidant and pleasure seeking that we forget that it's normal to be sad and it's normal to feel upset. And obviously, you know, to a degree, right. Um, but we're so quick to numb out. We're so quick that we had the bad day immediately have the beer or the wine or the food instead of understanding, like it's a normal part of the human experience to feel sad or upset or disappointed or lonely and not have to erase it. And so a big part of for me with taking care of myself and ultimately healing was digging into what was really going on emotionally for me and getting still with that and knowing it's not, I'm not broken if I'm feeling, you know, quote unquote negative emotions. Um, just knowing it's a part of the human experience. And by doing that, it allows me to actually appreciate the contrast. You know, we can't appreciate the sun if you don't have the clouds. Yeah, I totally agree. Especially with the negative emotion thing. It, helps to find something else other than food that you can turn to. What I do is I ask my friends, hey, uh, I had a really bad day. Can I vent to you? And that's really cathartic because my friends are always really helpful with responding to me and validating my feelings. Like it's okay to feel that way. And I don't have to emotionally eat mac and cheese anymore. <laughs> yeah connecting with other people is so so huge so important like so much of emotional eating is driven by this feeling of loneliness and sadness and anxiety and so those are things that are all offset when we are connecting with other people and sharing how we're feeling and having them hold space for us which is also something I love about coaching it's someone holding space for you to talk about how things are going, who's been there before, um, who can help kind of hold your hand through it and just allow you to process. It's so nice. So another thing I want to talk about, we talk about self-care, but we also talk about time management. So how do you manage your time to make sure that you're cooking nourishing, but not restrictive meals? Yeah. So the first thing, and we were chatting a little bit about it before we um, started recording, but digging into what actually feels good for you um, would be kind of my first step because a lot of the time it's like, am I eating this because I want to eat it or I'm eating it because I think I should eat it? And there's a very big difference in those things. And it can feel restrictive if I am eating something because I think I should versus I actually want to. So slow down, tune in, ask yourself, like, is this what I actually want or is it actually is it what I think I should want? And that might be hard at first, but give yourself time, give yourself that kind of grace and compassion to relearn your own body. Um, but first, it's like starting to get curious about the things that you actually truly enjoy and experimenting within that. Um, another thing I like to do is I talk about meal preparedness. So I like to have a lot of base ingredients around to cook a lot of different things because intuitively I change what I want from day to day and I don't want to, you know, go back into what I was before where I was like so rigid and so structured and I had meals perfectly planned out and frozen away and it was like, this is what you're having or you're having nothing at all. And again, that kind of depriving of pleasure and then I would go and seek out pleasure by ordering a bunch of food or going on binges. Um, and so I would definitely have, you know, base ingredients as well as adding in some fun recipes throughout the week. So, you know, on Sunday, I'd you know, go on Pinterest, whatever, and, you know, pull maybe even just one recipe for the week, something I could kind of get excited about and look forward to, um, you know, put on some music, light some candles, make it a nice experience just for me, as well as, um, you know, I'd block out time of the day to cook. So something that I used to do was let, you know, making meals be 
you know, like very last second, you know, I was almost frustrated that I had to do it versus understanding it was taking time for myself. And it really was an act of self-care by knowing I was worthy of taking this time to nourish myself. And so I would, you know, yeah, put on the music, put on the podcast, make it fun and block out, you know, whether it be 30 minutes or an hour from my schedule. So knowing if you're an entrepreneur, like you, those idle kind of moments where you're kind of doing something, but your brain is kind of can also be somewhat focused on something else. That's when you have the best ideas and you have the most kind of inspiration. So I would always be cooking, you know, with like a notebook nearby because things would pop into my head. So if you have trouble putting time away to cook, whether that be even only a few minutes a day, you know, it can be a really great way to generate new ideas as well as the, I always think about it as well. Like you're literally nourishing your brain. Like your brain needs nutrients because that's energy, right? And so if you're not giving yourself the energy it needs, you're not thinking on the level that you could be, you're not being sufficient. Um, and so all those kind of different ways to think about it, but yeah. A cool thing about intuitive eating is that you say that we can eat whatever we want. And so at first I was like, cool, I'm going to eat ice cream every day and I'm going to eat all this like greasy, sugary stuff. And then as the intuitive eating process goes on, you realize that all that sugary, greasy stuff tastes good, but it kind of makes you feel icky. Mm -hmm. And so it's not as much changing what you're eating. It's changing how you see what you're eating. Mm. Yeah. I always say it's not, yeah, what you're eating, it's how and why. And so digging into kind of like, you know, how I'm eating this, I'm eating it really, really quickly. And like, I, I'm not kind of binging, like just putting food into my mouth so fast that I don't even know what's happening. Um, or, you know, and why am I doing it? Am I doing it because it tastes good and it's really nourishing? Am I doing it because I'm kind of punishing myself? So, you know, I always say there's like no good or bad foods. It's just how and why you're eating it. So like an apple can be a good apple if you're eating it because it's delicious. You like apples, makes you feel really energized. Or it could be, you know, quote unquote, a, you know, a bad apple if you're eating it because you're, you know, afraid of weight changes. You don't actually like apples, but you're eating it because you think you should. And exactly what you said, it's tuning into like, why am I eating this and the feeling behind it. And I always say people think that intuitive eating is like anti-health as it were. You know, if I'm allowed to eat all, eat all the donuts, then I'm going to eat nothing but donuts. But Intuitive eating isn't anti-health, it's pro-feeling good. And you'll notice pretty quickly that the reason that you do want to binge and eat on all the donuts is because you've restricted them. And I always say that restriction creates rebellion and allowance creates space for choice. And so if you're allowing all foods, all of a sudden it loses the novelty. But there is definitely that period when you start intuitively eating, we're going through a bit of a honeymoon period where it's like all of a sudden you now have access to all the foods that you didn't have access to before and it's very exciting. But quickly, you're going to learn that it doesn't feel good to eat nothing but donuts all day long. Um, and so slowly, you'll, you know, okay, maybe that is one donut here and there. And then you're just continuing to tune into what feels good. And the thing with intuitive eating, it is a journey because each day and each time you're practicing it, you know, it's you're leaning in and you're getting closer to what feels good for you and more tuned in. And it just becomes when you have this beautiful relationship with your body where you actually love and appreciate it instead of, you know, hating it and thinking it's gone, you know, something's gone terribly wrong. Yep. I actually get called out by my family all the time for eating really slowly. Like I'm always the last one eating at dinner and I just like savoring the meal. And often I end up eating less because of it. Like I end up feeling fuller 
like just eating slower instead of inhaling all of it and then accidentally giving myself a tummy ache. Yeah. Oh, it's well, here's the thing as well, right? And I coach using the a hunger scale sometimes is zero in like if it's a zero to ten scale, zero is I'm so hungry that I can't eat. Or sorry, I'm so hungry that I'm gonna like pass out. Like I'm just dizzy, I'm starving. Ten is I'm so full, I can't move, like I'm just like food is just like up in the back of my throat, like I'm just so full. Um and so what people often do is they'll wait to start eating until they're like a two on the hunger scale. So they're so starvingly hungry, um, which if you think about like a pendulum swing, they tend to eat past like that, like kind of normal satiation, which would be like around a six, seven, they'll go right to like eight or nine. And they kind of just swing between the two because they'll be like, Oh, I way over eight. I feel really full. I'll compensate now by restricting and letting myself kind of get back to, you know, a two or a one. And then they kind of just continue to sway within though that range versus, oh, I'm starting to notice some hunger, you know, that kind of like four or five, starting to feel that kind of in your stomach a little bit, kind of noticing some hunger signs. That's when you want to start eating. And then it's a lot easier to stop eating around, you know, a six, seven, when you're just starting to feel that fullness in your belly. Um, And why I say that is because a lot of the time speed has to do with hunger level. So if I've let myself get really, really hungry, it's more likely that I'm going to eat food really, really quickly because, again, how our primitive brain works, it's designed for survival. And it thinks if it doesn't have enough calories in your system, it thinks it's, you know, what if there's a lion that's going to come over the hill and kill us, essentially. That's how it's thinking. So it wants to get your energy levels back up really quickly. So that can mean eating really quickly, binging um, sometimes, in order to get those calories, aka energy, up. Um, and so, yeah, it's eating slowly it's so important, but it's really hard to do, not impossible, but it's hard to do if you are letting yourself get too hungry. But like you said, when you are honoring that hunger and you are eating slowly, it gives your time, time for your body to actually process it. It gives your body time, food, gives your body time for the food to hit your stomach. Um, so you can actually feel those levels of fullness instead of eating so quickly, you know, food takes 10, 15, 20 minutes to actually hit your stomach, we find that we've already gone for a second or a third plate or we finished off everything before the food has even hit our stomach. And then we realize like, oh my gosh, I ate way past that comfort level of full. And it's because we hadn't let the food actually hit our stomach. So we weren't really aware what was full. Exactly. Which is kind of like, because I'm in the middle of that hunger scale for most of the time now, I almost feel like I always have some food in front of me. Like it's just breakfast and then snack and then lunch and then snack and then dinner, but they're all smaller meals, Mm -hmm. but it just feels like I'm always eating, but that's not a bad thing. And it's got to be intuitive to you, right? Like I'm someone who has large meals, but I have them pretty spaced out. Other people have little meals and they have little snacks in between. And it just has to make sense for you, right? Like you said before, like everyone's body is different. Everyone's how we process calories, everything. It's completely different based off of so many different factors. And we have to stop comparing ourselves to other people and their eating habits. You know, like no more looking at, oh, like, what does J-Lo eat in a day? Or even, you know, your partner. Your partner might eat less than you, and your friend might eat more than you, and whatever. It's it's okay, right? It doesn't mean anything about you. It's not a positive or a negative. It's just you. And you need to just honor what your body wants and not make it mean something negative about yourself. Exactly. And we have to embrace all food, including sweet treats. So what are some of your favorite sweet treats? I go through phases. So right now I'm definitely in like a hot chocolate phase at night. 
I really enjoy, like I put my phone across my room, like I don't have it beside my bed. And then I pull out my laptop and I put on um, like thunderstorm sounds, but it's like when it has the visual of it. Um, and so like I have that in my bed, you know, sun, thunderstorm sounds, reading my book. Um, so I've been loving that. Um, I also love smoothie bowls. So I'm here in Bali actually right now. I'm Canadian, but I live in Bali. Um, and smoothie bowls are like a really big thing here, which are like a, so good. Um, I also love like a dense chocolate piece of cake with some vanilla ice cream on top. But again, it changes. But I guess there's a bit of a chocolate theme going. <laughs> chocolate is pretty good. And um, I I go through phases with chocolate too, because like the dense, rich chocolate cake that's the good stuff. Oh yeah. Now I want chocolate cake. <laughs> this is your fault. Uh, I'm not sorry. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So tell me more about your approach to intuitive eating and how you help people create food freedom. Yeah. So I alluded to at the beginning that I take a science-based approach, which is really different from what I've seen anyone do because when I was you know, starting to recover. And, you know, I had this kind of rock bottom moment. I had gone on a 30 kilometer run because I'd had too much trail mix. I was standing on top of the mountain in Montreal. And I was like, you know, I need help. So then I started this kind of journey to recovery and I started to go see psychiatrists and counselors and they were just saying, oh, you know, you're eating this way because of your childhood and because of this happened. And it felt really disempowering. Like I was a victim of my own past. And I had this problem of what I called insight versus transformation. So I had a lot of insight into maybe why I had the eating issues that I did, but I didn't actually have any way to kind of pull myself out of that hole or anything I could do about it. And so I realized there was a really big space for someone to come in and really help educate, you know, I work with women, you know, around why they're eating this way from more of a scientific educational standpoint. So I think that education is really empowering. So for me to understand, hey, you're eating this way because of X, Y, Z, and it's not that you're broken, it's not that you're self-sabotaging, and actually here's what we're going to do about it. All of a sudden, it's like all these light bulbs are going off in my head, and so I spent like hundreds and hundreds of hours researching and, you know, reading like scientific journals and writing notes and pages, and I put together this program that saved my own life um, and really just was incredible like I probably looked like a crazy person because my apartment was just papers everywhere like arrows and um it was madness but I basically had come up with this the system that really saved me and that was I started an Instagram account I started talking about my journey people like how did you do that like how did you have this transformation so quickly and a lot of people kind of wanted to start working with me and so I started doing beta clients around my program, which is now what I teach to this day, two years later, um, around a very science-based approach to recovery because it changed my life. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this has the power to change other people's lives as well. It certainly changed mine. (laughs) Victoria uh, coached me and intuitive eating is the only way I ever see myself eating basically from now on. So definitely recommend her approach. I will have all of her stuff linked in the show notes, which you can find at emmatfink.com slash podcast. And tell me a little bit more about your new release, The Intuitive Eater's Morning Routine. Yes. Oh my gosh. I am so excited about this because I'm someone who, like I said before, I had so much anxiety that I couldn't even sit down. 
And so I wanted to create something that is really fun and engaging. And also I love when things are like cute and pretty. And so I put together this like really awesome uh, morning routine guide. It's like a PDF guide. And it's something that I've been using kind of unofficially put together myself for years. But I was like, okay, I'll put it together for my clients because this is going to really set them up for intuitive eating success. And then I was like, you know what, I should really share with other people too, because I'll get a lot out of it. And so yeah, it's a three-step morning routine. It does not take very long because I like things to be efficient and realistic. I don't think having like a 30-step morning routine is like, it's just not going to happen. Um, and so, yeah, it has like journaling prompts, like has 70 journaling prompts you can pick from, um, you know, these different anxiety tools for journaling, um, you know, the different options for brain dumps. I have different affirmations, emotional processing. And then I have it hyperlinked at the back for different types of meditation, like different forms to connect to your body. So dance, you know, I linked to my favorite playlist, some of them, you know, like music from the 90s and stuff, 2000s. Um, I have it hyperlinked to my favorite um, meditation I created for people who don't like meditation, box breathing, which is an active form of meditation for people who struggle with sitting still, um, how to connect to your body. So it's like this really holistic really easy, really fun morning routine that, again, something that changed my life that I've been so excited to share with other people. So yeah, it's been so great. And people have been buying it and messaging me and loving it. And I'm just super, super excited about it. That's awesome. And it sounds like an easy way to wake up. Like it sounds like you're easing into your day instead of jolting awake and being like, oh, I got to do stuff again. Oh yeah. Right. Because the way our brain works as well is our cortisol, which is our stress hormone, is actually the highest first thing in the morning. So Mother Nature is basically trying to agitate you into movement. Otherwise, we'd just be, you know, as it were, sleeping in the cave throughout the day. So you want to have this kind of highest level of cortisol in the morning that would agitate us to get us into movement, to go and hunt the lion and blah, blah, blah. Um, and so today, the first thing people do often is they go and reach their phone or they chug a thing, think of coffee, and they're going through emails, and it's like they're adding on stress to stress. Um, and so, you know, if we can have the first, <clears throat> have the first thing that happens in the morning be, you know, taking time for us and putting us first and us being in control of how we start our day instead of at the mercy of how other people are telling us to start our day in terms of, you know, looking at, you know, Instagram messages or emails and having them dictate how you feel, really taking that ownership, that autonomy over your morning and doing a little short morning routine and it feels really good and then I have like a little checklist in it when you tick things off um you actually get a hit of a dopamine that's the anticipation of reward it's a renewable energy source um and it just feels really great when you take that time for you and it's that, such an act of self-care which has a positive spiral on itself so I'm super excited about it and I also wanted to extend to your audience so if you wanted the guide I would love for you to have it um, and if you want five dollars off of it you can use the discount code podcast five at checkout so would love for you guys to have a copy it will change your life I promise you because it's going to set you up for the ability to really tune into your body uh, which is what intuitive eating is. That is so awesome. I'm so excited for the coupon code. I got the guide myself and I've already been digging through it. I'm in the process of creating my morning routine, something that's working for me. And I'm really stoked to incorporate some of these things. I definitely want to include journaling. So I am really excited to share this with all the Crushing on Life listeners. Victoria, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I had a great time and I learned a lot. 
Thank you so, so much. I really appreciate that. If you guys ever want to learn more about me, um, I'm on Instagram at Victoria Evans official. I'm super active there. I post a ton of content, always dancing. Um, and that's probably the best way to find me, but also my website, www.victoriaevansofficial.com. And if you're interested in the morning routine guide, I'm sure you'll drop the link below, but you can also message me on Instagram and I'll send you it. So yeah. Yep. And I will have everything linked in the show notes. She is dancing a lot on Instagram. It's a really fun time. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me on today, Emma. Really appreciate it. Wasn't that awesome? I learned so much about intuitive eating and different things regarding food during this episode. So I really hope you guys learned a lot too. Again, I will have the coupon code for Victoria's morning routine guide in the show notes. It is podcast five and you can get $5 off of a really awesome guide to help you ease into your mornings and wake up on the right foot. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it out on Instagram and tag me so that I can repost you and thank you for being such a great listener. And if you think someone else could benefit from this episode, share it with them. Thank you so much for tuning in and I will see you next time. Thanks for tuning in to the Crushing on Life podcast. You can find the show notes for this episode and all other episodes at emmatfink.com slash podcast. If you're new here, please consider subscribing so you never miss a new episode. Until next time, keep working toward a life you can crush on.